Thank you, Jesus, that you are God and King. Please do help us to understand what you say. Help us to, to not only understand it, but to allow it to speak into our lives. Lord, we, we long for the day when we are as you describe us to be. Lord, when we are people who know our spiritual bankruptcy. Lord, when we are people who mourn the presence of sin in our lives. Lord, when we are people who, who treat others with meekness. When we are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, we long for the day when you tell us that though we might be spiritually poor, you are you are spiritually super abundantly wealthy and that you give your kingdom to us. We long for the day, today, when you say to those who mourn, I, I comfort you, I forgive you, I, I set you free from all that holds you back. Lord, we long for the day, even today, when we will be so secure in our position, knowing that, that we are inheriting the earth, that we can treat others with with, with value. That we don't have to assert ourselves, but we can, we can trust in your grace and your promise of the future. We long for the day, Lord, when, when we who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be satisfied. We long for that day, even today. Lord, thank you that, that these descriptions are true of us in varying degrees. Lord, thank you that, that you have promised to fulfill them ultimately and we thank you that they are being fulfilled even in our lives today. Now, Lord, as we, as we consider these passages, please do speak to us, Father. Lord, may we, may we hear your description over our lives. May what you said through your Son become ever more true of us as we live our, our lives day by day. May we know that you are, and knowing that you are, may we know that you are us. Knowing that you love us, may we love others. Thank you so much that you are our God and that we are your people. Speak now, I Amen. So as, uh, as we've heard, we have been going through the Beatitudes over the last uh, three weeks. Today is week four. We're going to, it's an eight-week series as we go through the Beatitudes. Um, let's just quickly, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter five. This is... Jesus starting the Sermon on the Mount, um, Matthew chapter 5. Let's just quickly read through them all. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, we'll start at verse 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Today's one. God blesses those who who hunger and thirst for justice, or uh, another way to put that, for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And Jesus sums up, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. 
Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, well, not wonderful if, if someday a tragedy happened to us, but wouldn't it be wonderful if people looked at us and said what Mark said of the people in America? That we have not only read the Beatitudes, but that they actually describe us. That is, that is my wish. And, and, and in fact, that's not just my wish. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is writing these Beatitudes. He's not, he's not giving us a list of jobs to tick off. He's not saying, make sure you are meek. Make sure you are a peacemaker. Jesus is just saying, those people who follow me are these things. They know themselves bankrupt. They know themselves to be mourning. They know themselves to be uh, uh, meek. They know themselves to hunger. They know themselves to be peacemakers. They know all these things about themselves. Uh, or even if they don't know it about themselves, that's just who they are. Everybody else knows it. And so far in the Beatitudes, they have been building up on each other. So you know that you are spiritually poor and God gives you his kingdom. Knowing that you're spiritually poor, you mourn the fact that you have sin in your life and that there is sin in this world. Mourning that fact and yet knowing that God comforts you and has forgiven you, you can then treat others with dignity and not have to push yourself forward. God has comforted you and said, I'm your father and, and so you will inherit the earth and so you don't have to grab everything now. And today, knowing that you don't have to grab everything now, knowing that you are spiritually poor, knowing that this world is not as it's meant to be, says Jesus, his followers hunger and thirst for righteousness or as the New Living Translation puts it, for justice. Now, righteousness is one of those words in the Bible which... Uh, which can be used in, in many different ways. Um, let me give you just three definitions of righteousness. You can talk about righteousness in a legal sense. And so that speaks of being right with God. That speaks of uh, having a, a solid relationship with God, having nothing between us. Um, so uh, if you have had a fight with your, uh, I don't know, your uncle, and you haven't spoken for three years, things are not right between you. Righteousness is, is having a right relationship. Uh, it's used quite a lot in that sense in the Bible in terms of Jesus doing away with our sin and making us right in God's sight. So, so God looks at us and he, and he sees us and he doesn't see our sin. And, and well, God always loves us, but, but the, the relationship is sound. We can also talk about righteousness in terms of, of a social dimension. And that's where the word justice comes through. It's, it's speaking about where the wicked do not prevail, where, where right happens. And so people who are, are doing evil things are brought to justice. Righteousness is done. And this is the great hope that, that, that Jesus says there will come a day. And we're going to sing about this at the end when God comes and judges the world, and, and justice will be done, righteousness will be done. Uh, those people will be judged according to what they have done, what we have done. That's a sense of righteousness. Um, I love the fact that the first righteousness, Jesus comes um, to save us from ourselves. It's not so much saving us from God, it's saving us from ourselves, because he does away with, with our sin. 
so that we do not be judged uh, in the social sense. We don't face God's social righteousness. There is, a, a, of course, also a sense of moral righteousness, um, where we are having a character and, and a way of life that matches up with God's. And when we speak about righteousness in this sense, we speak about wanting to live a life that is free from sin. Um, I bet that most people, maybe not in the church, but maybe even in the church, most people, you say righteousness, they think stuck up. That's not what righteousness is about. Righteousness, um, those three things, it's about being right with God, it's about the right thing happening, and it's about um, being a right person, living the best life, living the life that God intends for us to live. Now, if you read the New Testament letters, uh, Paul spends a lot of time talking, talking about righteousness in terms of that, that legal sense, about the right standing with God. And, and that is true here, but, but I think Jesus' focus uh, in this verse, in the Beatitudes, is a little bit on the legal side, but, but mostly on the social and the moral side. And that's probably why the New Living Translation is has put the word justice there. They, they think it's mostly the social side. I, I think it might even be more of a combination between social and moral. Um, how can I say that? Well, the legal sense of righteousness, of being set right with God. Well, Jesus is speaking to people who are already right with God. He is describing Christians. So we don't need to be have our relationship set right. So Jesus is looking at the other dimensions of what it means to live Righteously. Jesus, let me just reiterate again, is not saying that God approves or God blesses self-righteous people. The very first beatitude says God blesses those who know that they are spiritually bankrupt. It's very hard to know yourself to be spiritually bankrupt and at the same time say, yeah, but I am so rich. I have it all together. My life is perfect. My life is like, ooh, ah. I don't know how the rest of the song goes. I should just say, for those who haven't been here for the rest of the series, you're probably going, okay, you said God approves, Nick. What, what's that all about? We said the word blesses is an interesting word uh, because it's, it's kind of like a, a furfy word that we just throw out there, kind of like God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. And, and what do we mean by it? Whereas bless is actually more of the sense of, of approving, <coughs> praising. And so we can bless each other, we can praise each other, uh, we can bless other humans, we can bless God. Which is us saying, God, you are fantastic. You are praiseworthy. You are good. We, are, we approve of you. Not in, a, not in a sense of, oh, nice God. But in the sense of, God, you're brilliant. And God does the same thing. He blesses us. He looks at us. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's describing his people. He's saying, God blesses you. God praises you. God says, wow, I love this about you. I approve this. And in fact, I'm going to show my approval in all these, these various ways. Now, we are all good Christians, and we know that God approves of righteousness. Can I have an amen? amen? And that's not what Jesus is saying here, is it? 
Yes, God approves of righteousness. God is righteous. But, but look what Jesus says. God blesses those who are righteous. No, God blesses those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness. We think that righteousness, we think that, that being right, of, of being correct, of being upright, of moral people, uh, we think that this is the condition for God blessing us. Maybe we don't say it, but so often that's, that's, what, we, that's what we live. That, that you know what, if, if my life is going well, then I must be obeying God well. And, and if things are going terribly for me, then, then I must be a horrible person. Somewhere there's a secret sin or not so secret sin. And you know what, sometimes that's true, but, but you can't draw that line all the time. What does Jesus say here? He says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied. Righteousness is the blessing, not the condition for the blessing. Which is a bit topsy-turvy, isn't it? We think God will bless us if we are good enough. God says, I will bless you if you long to be good enough. I approve not of you being perfect, because if you are being perfect, you're not being honest. Go to the first beatitude. Start again. I approve of you when you just long to be righteous. Yes, righteousness pleases God, but we are so prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians uh, chapter 3. Uh, All of these references, I think, are in the bulletin uh, this week. Philippians chapter 3, and we're just going to read verses um, 6 and 7. Paul writes here, he says, uh, speaking of the time when he was uh, not yet a follower of Jesus, he says, um, I was a real Hebrew uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, if ever there was one, uh, a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I, I... Harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now, once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. And become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith or trust. Paul counts his old self-righteousness as worthless. Because of the all-surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And he wants to know Christ. Yes, says Paul a bit later on, to know him in the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. You see, it's not about being religious. Jesus doesn't say God approves of it if you long to be more religious. Jesus doesn't say God approves of you being religious. 
God says, I approve of you when you are desperate for righteousness. To be right with me, for the world to be right. But let's focus in on that last one, the moral righteousness. To live the kind of life I mean for you to live. What is that? God said to his people, be holy as I am holy. I think the main thrust of what Jesus is saying here on an individual level is, are you desperate to be like me? Are you desperate to live my kind of life, to have my kind of character formed in you? Yes, this is a secondary desire. It's, it's not the most, it shouldn't be the most important desire in our lives. If your most fervent desire, the thing that most gives you hunger pangs in your, in your soul, is to be holy, <clears throat> you've missed the boat. Because the desire for righteousness, to be holy, to, to see things come as they should be, has to spring from a desire for God. Righteousness is a valuable thing. It's, it's an incredible valuable thing. But, but if you are righteous and you don't have God, you've got nothing. However, if you love God, if you know how much God loves you, the more you know how much God loves you, the more, I believe, God puts a, a desire in you to please Him. A desire in you to be like Him. You see, those who who hunger and thirst for righteousness, long to live righteously. And, and they also long for God's righteousness to prevail in the world. They want everything, beginning with my life, but, but they want everything to be lived in line with what God wants. And they know that the more and more I need God, the more and more I want to be like God, the more and more I want to see His kingdom come, the more and more Jesus says, God loves it. I think it is normal for Christians to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hands up if you have hungered and thirsted every day for righteousness this week. Who are the normal ones in the congregation? <laughs> Maybe once or twice. Maybe a lot. Has, has anybody not hungered at all? Don't put your hands up. You know what Jesus is describing Christians here? And he's saying, this is what my people are like. We are not perfect. Very first one. Blessed are the spiritually poor. The, the guys who know that they don't line up with, with Jesus' description perfectly. But you know what? I believe the more we get to know Jesus, the more He will instill a spiritual hunger in us. That's my prayer. That we realize that we cannot get along without being like God, having His character in us. Uh, people who hunger and thirst do so because they're in desperate need. They need to eat, otherwise they will die. 
I can't remember if I put it in the message on the message, um, the, the story about when probably in 1996, uh, my siblings and I were doing the 40-hour famine. It might have been the 50-hour famine back then. I don't know. Oh, okay. It seemed longer. And yay, a whole weekend without food. It's, it's, it's not that much, is it? But trust me, we, we went to Sizzlers on the Sunday afternoon. And whoa, as much as you can eat for the win. We were desperate for food. Jesus is saying that same thing, that sense of emptiness within you, that you, you just, your belly is going, blah, 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 blah. I, I need something. I, I need this. Otherwise, otherwise, everything within me is just saying, if you don't get it, you're going to die. Now, we're not going to die because we've been forgiven. We've been comforted. But, but there's that same sense of, of longing for it. I read a, a sermon that, that spoke about this passage and it said, uh, let's talk about Alcoholics Anonymous. The first step in the 12-step program is admitting that you are powerless over alcohol. And the point of that is that, that if you're going to change, you have to be hungry for it first. If you still think, oh, it's okay, I can live with it, you're never going to change. You need to be hungry for change. And this is what Jesus is saying here, I think. He's saying God's people are people who are hungry for it. They know that they can't make it on themselves, by themselves. First beatitude. These are the sort of people who look at their own lives, who say, well, I've got this, this anger in my life. I've got this envy in my life. I've got this greed in my life. I've got this lust in my life. I've got this gossiping spirit in my life. And yet I know that I'm saved and, and I know that when God looks at me, He sees me as Jesus and, and I want to be like that. I, I'm desperate to be the way God sees me. That, that's a very important distinction there. It's not um, I want to be better so that God will, will, will approve of me. That, that's misreading the verse. God blesses those who are righteous. No. It's that I want to be what God actually says I am. And not just that, but, but I look at the world and I go, I want the world to be the way God says it should be. I don't like the fact that there are people shooting other people. I don't like the fact that I went to Myra uh, yesterday and uh, walked out of her room and the room next door obviously... Uh, a beloved, uh, I think it was a grandfather or something, was dying. They were all standing in the corridor crying. This is kind of what Jesus is saying as well. Those, these people are those who walk past that and go, God, I don't want this to be the way. I long for the day when there is no more death. Because that's not what you meant. And when you look at us, you, you see us and you say, I don't mean for you to to die. I don't mean for this world to have natural disasters. I don't mean for all this hap to happen in the... Uh, it's not right. And it's kind of bubbling inside of me, God, that I, I know it's not right. My whole being rebels against this. That's what hunger is, isn't it? It's, it's your whole body rebelling against the fact that you've been stupid enough not to feed it. 
And the other thing about hunger is that it's not solved from the outside. It's solved from the inside. Righteousness isn't just something you do. We can all do good things, but righteousness isn't just something you do. Usually we try and force righteousness, uprightness, you know, good character from the outside in. And we see someone doing the wrong thing, we give them a smack and say, come on, not allowed to do that. You know, to a point that works. True righteousness and the hunger for righteousness comes from deep within. And it bubbles outwards. Because God's righteousness is not something that we can generate of ourselves. It's a gift. It's something that God gives us. Look at what he says here. This hunger is not a forlorn hunger. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice will be satisfied. God says, I approve of your hunger and the re- you can see I approve because I will satisfy your hunger. I will fill you from within. I will give you my spirit who will, if you read 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, who will make you more and more like Jesus. Who will slowly be transforming you and then one day I'm going to return, I'm going to make you brand new. But, but this that you long for is something that I gift to you. You know that old saying, you are what you eat. Um, the tragedy of our age, I think, is that we hunger and we thirst. And we go to empty wells to try and satiate ourselves. We, we long for things that, that don't satisfy us. The latest gadgets. Relationships, wealth, all these things. You know, many things are desirable, but but not as desirable as righteousness. Not as desirable as God and wanting to be like Him, to have His character. I've said this many times, Tim Keller's definition of an idol is a good thing turned into an idol. Is a good thing turned into an ultimate thing. All God's gifts are good, but they are not meant to satisfy us. God satisfies. God is the one who satisfies. Perhaps some of you are um, listening to this verse and, and saying, you know what, this reminds me, Nick, of, of my attitude and my character when I first became a Christian. You know what? You remember those days? Some of you might have to access long-term memory storage retrieval. Um, when you first become a Christian, there's that sense of you just cannot get enough of Jesus. You, you're just joyfully desperate for the things of God. You, you care with great intensity about the state of the world and about the state of your, your own life. And then over time, time blunts your desires. And the real world takes over. 
who here has not eaten for like three or four days or longer? Anyone not eaten for three or four days longer? The thing I found interesting is that after a few days, eating, food, I found interesting that after about two or three days, you start out hungry, 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 and it gets less. The hunger dims. Jesus says, I will fill you. And he says, God approves of those who hunger. Many of us perhaps come with our hunger dimmed. You know, it's one of those things, if you have a bite to eat now, and you haven't eaten for a while, it gets your gastric juices flowing, doesn't it? I love the fact that God fills those who hunger for Him. And as we take a bite of, of, of that, and as He gives us some of His righteousness, it like it gets our spiritual gastric juices bubbling, and we're like, wow, I really was hungry. Really was hungry. God, I'm hungry for you. I, I want more of you. That, that's what we want, isn't it? We, we need to be praying if we are this morning going, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm a bit hungry for that. But, you know, other things, life goes on. I think our prayer should be that God would give us a taste of himself, a taste of his righteousness, that he would, that he would bring something of that to bear in our lives, that, that he would address some issue in us, that, that he would perhaps even bring a, a situation in the world like, like what happened in America, that it would awaken us and go, Lord, this isn't right. And so inspire a deeper hunger for us. You know, it's better to come to God empty than it is to come to God full. Because if you come empty, God will fill you. What about Jesus? Jesus is saying that God approves of these things, but, but Jesus also hungered. Uh, yes, he lived a perfectly righteous life. Um, he didn't long for, um, well, maybe he did long. To be morally upright. He never actually failed to be morally upright. But, but he was tempted in the desert for 40 days. And afterwards he chose not to bow to the devil. But instead to listen to the father's will. He, he was so hungry. Physically hungry. That the devil came and, and tempted him spiritually. And Jesus said to him. Uh, the devil said to him. Uh, what Just turn some stones into bread. And Jesus said to him. Man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of my Father. Jesus was hungry. Yes, he was hungry for food, but he was hungrier for God. In the Garden of Eden, uh, not God of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus was praying there and his deepest desire wasn't for his own safety. He longed for that, but his deepest desire, he said, Father, not what I want, but what you want. Jesus came to bring God's righteousness into the world. He, he shone like a light. He, he came to bring justice to the oppressed. 
to show that God will not let the wicked triumph. He came to restore our relationship with God, making us, us right with God by His death and resurrection. He came also to show us what true humanity looks like, what, what a righteous life looks like, what a life devoted to the Father looks like, what, what a life that hungers for God looks like. And he says, when people hunger for God, God satisfies them. God gives us what we hunger for. He makes us like Him. One day we will be completely like Him. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 35, and in the bulletin I said, please read the whole chapter. It's just so brilliant. But chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now do you notice the paradox in all of this? And we're, we're coming to the end here. But do you notice the paradox? That those who hunger and thirst are satisfied. Jesus is saying God really likes it when you hunger and thirst after me. And he likes it so much that he's going to satisfy your hunger and your thirst. So he likes it so much that he's going to stop it. Well, no, it's exactly what we were saying earlier. He gives us that sense of righteousness, the taste of that, and it, it just sparks a deeper hunger. The more we are conformed to God's will, the more content we become. The more we know that, that he loves us, the more we know that, that one day we will stand before him and we will not be ashamed, as, as John says in uh, 1 John. But, that in turn spawns a greater hunger and a thirst. Being satisfied and finding myself being like Jesus in one area, and, and quite often I'm not the one to find that, somebody else does, sparks a greater desire to be like God in other areas. Even if our consciences condemn us, says John, he is faithful and true. We can be satisfied even now. Jesus says God satisfies those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that, to keep my life which I have entrusted to him until the day when he returns. That's Paul saying, I am satisfied in Christ now. I know that my righteousness is safe in Christ. I know that God looks at me and smiles upon me, that God approves of me in Christ. My, yes, my moral uprightness is maybe not yet totally aligned with Christ's, but God looks at me and, and God is satisfied with my life in Jesus. But at the same time, Paul can say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where did I put this Bible? He says this line, I want to know Christ and to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Here is Paul, he's been a Christian for a while now, and he, he writes, he says, I want to know Christ. I'm not yet satisfied with my, with my depth of knowledge. I want to experience him more. Yes, Yes, I, have, I, I know him. I, I know him completely. I trust him completely. But, but I want to know him. 
I'm so satisfied that I'm hungry. Righteousness isn't about ticking off boxes and saying, yeah, I've done that bit now. It's about growing to be more like Jesus. It's about knowing God more and more. Now remember, this is a a difficult series for a preacher because if I'm right that Jesus is not prescribing things for us to do, but describing Christians, there's a danger for me to come here and, and turn what Jesus is describing into a prescribing. You can't just do that. So what do we, what do we take home? What, what do you go home today going, yeah, Jesus describes Christians and I just don't match up. A hunger. A hunger. That's what, a hunger. That's what you go hunger. How about this as well? If we are conscious of slow growth... <laughs> is the fact that we haven't been eating. And are we perhaps not eating because we haven't been hungry? Or has our hunger been dulled by chomping away at other things which ultimately do not satisfy? You know, it's not enough to mourn past sin, the second beatitude. We must also be hungering and thirsting to be like God today and tomorrow and the next day. What is the point in confessing our sin, in mourning about it, in saying I'm bankrupt, I'm really sorry about that, if we just finish there? The first and second Beatitudes must lead to a hunger for righteousness. Where do we get this hunger? There are five steps you need to go home. First thing you need to do, if you do these five steps, I guarantee you will be spiritually hungry. And the church said, burn the heretic. A hunger for righteousness flows from a transformed heart. It comes from knowing that we've been forgiven it comes from knowing that God values us it comes from knowing that although we are poor that's where God loves to meet us at a hunger and thirst for righteousness comes from knowing God The more we experience His righteousness in our lives, the more we are transformed into His image and character, the more we, we long for that. I, I don't know how many times I've said that, but I'm, I'm trying to drive it home, I think. <clears throat> and so perhaps today we finish with a prayer that we would be ever more hungry for God's righteousness in ourselves and in the world. Not that we would say the right words or you know, be seen to be hungry, but, but a deep hunger. And perhaps we pray this morning that 
that as we are satisfied that that hunger would grow. <clears throat> May we be so satisfied in God that we are not satisfied with this world and we are not yet satisfied with ourselves. All the time knowing that God is satisfied with us in Christ. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The Spirit of God and the Bride, the Church, say, Come. You know the stupid thing about being hungry? It's to be hungry and not to eat. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears this say, Come. Let anyone who is thirsty, Come. Let anyone who desires drink freely, from the water of life. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. If you come to me, you will drink and you will never be thirsty again. It's difficult to finish saying, may you be hungry today because we're going to go and have lunch at Fran's house. But may you be spiritually hungry. May we encourage each other to hunger. May we encourage each other to thirst and may we encourage each other by pointing out in each other where we see God feeding us. Please do that. Point out where you see God feeding each other because quite often you don't see that in yourself. Anna Marie. Thank you.